Hello and welcome. You're listening to episode 10 of Tait. That's T-A-I-T, which is short for Talking About Immersive Theatre. I'm Dr Joanna Bucknell and this podcast series is concerned with all things immersive and interactive in the theatre. Each month I go out to meet with immersive and interactive theatre directors, performers, practitioners, producers and other arts industry professionals to talk about the work that they do and some of the things and challenges that they have to go through in order to bring that work to you. So, I'm going to let you get at it. I'm here at the White Swan Performing Arts Centre at the University of Portsmouth with Gemma Kerr to talk about the immersive performance work she does with Omnibus and High Hearted Theatre. So, hello and welcome. Hello. And uh, you're here with your daughter as well, which yes. is really lovely. Yes. What's her name? Um, she's Clear. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so uh, Gemma, you studied theatre directing for an MFA, is that correct? Yes. At Birkbeck College, University did, of London. Yeah. Uh, so can you tell us a bit about your early career and the journey that you took from kind of being there to then sort of uh, making high high theatre? Yeah, effectively? yeah, I can, I can try. Um, <laughs> that's, a, that's a vast question, yeah, no, isn't it? Yeah, no, no, no. Um, so yeah, I went, I studied directing at Birkbeck and I suppose mm-hmm. be, and before that I'd studied drama at Bristol which um, I think um, I think like has quite a, well at the time sort of felt like it had quite a strong live art sort of tradition um, and then I think yeah Birkbeck was a brilliant sort of grounding in mm-hmm. in the language of being a director I think mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and so I suppose combining those kind of being a theatre maker and a director which are yeah. slightly different heads yeah. Um, and then I think, yeah, I mean, after finishing Birkbeck, I think, I mean, I think someone at one point told me there's two routes of being a director. Either, you know, you become an assistant or you form your own company. And I sort of don't mm-hmm. think that's true because I think yeah. you just try and do the work wherever you can. Um, but I was never very successful being an assistant anyway. Um, so I... Um, well, being an assistant is challenging, isn't it? Because I was the same when I finished my undergraduate. I mm-hmm. would like to have done directing, but having to kind of engage in internships for free and having yeah. to sort of be in and around London with very little income, yeah. I found it's very difficult. really difficult. Yeah, and I think you... I mean, in a way, I feel like being an assistant now might be quite useful because mm. you sort of get to a point where you, you forget what it's like to be in a room with another director yeah. and you forget that sort of how yeah. your practice could be different. And actually, I co-directed something this summer um, and that was really great because mm-hmm. just to sort of go, oh, you do that and I can do that and that's yeah. what... Um, but anyway, I mean, to go back to finishing Birkbeck, um, yeah, I mean, I suppose I did, you know, some um, jobs, I think. And then um, we founded High Hearted in 20. Mm-hmm. Um, because we just because we want, there was a piece of work we wanted to make. I think I'd got really interested in psychogeography, which I think is a bit of a hangover from Bristol because I remember yeah. everyone being quite interested. Yeah, in that. absolutely. Um, and I remember I did a project um, just on my own, um, which was sort of creating maps of London. Because mm-hmm. when I first moved to London, I was really obsessed. I really wanted to go on a tour bus. Um, and no one would go with me on one because it's like, it's such a shit thing to do. I was like, I really want to go. And then by the time I sort of thought oh, I could go on one, I suppose, um, I realised that the places that were interesting to me were definitely not kind of Buckingham Palace or Tower Bridge. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I was really interested in the sort of emotional paths that yeah. we create. Um, and so I sort of did a project that involved a lot of maps, like laminated on tables mm-hmm. um, and getting people to sort of label places that are important to them like so that you know the bus stop where they had their first kiss with their partner or mm. the 
for me, I just really clearly <laughs> remember this, this big bin on Wexham Street where I just found out I hadn't got a job I really wanted and just like cried behind oh, it. No. So that's like imprinted on my like yeah. map of London. Yeah. Um, and then creating little kind of tours from that and telling, getting them to tell people mm. about those guys. Um, so that sort of started as a project. And then me and Marcelo, who was the other half of High Hearted, um, I think at some point decided to take those ideas and turn it into a piece of theatre. Um, so by its nature, I suppose, it was always going to be promenade, yeah, outdoors, yeah. Um, and we want, and also I suppose we couldn't afford to hire a venue. <laughs> so well, this is often, isn't it? It's the pressures of kind of yeah. the kind of training that we do, and it's interesting mm. actually because lots of people I meet now who are doing um, PhDs on kind mm. of immersive or site-specific yeah. site-responsive work are working out of Bristol, which I think yeah. is really interesting, or tend to have a relationship with Battersea Arts somewhere along the way. So there's these mm. kind of really clear, uh, almost, yeah, in a way, there's kind of like sort of psychological spaces where these yeah. things are coming out of. Yeah. And these traditions are coming out yeah. of. And it, Dartington, I think, is a part of that too, but it, obviously that has... That's it, actually, because I'm thinking of, now. I've listened to some of your podcasts and you've mentioned forced entertainment, and I yeah. wrote my dissertation on forced entertainment. Did you? And realised halfway through that my dissertation tutor had been Tim Etchell's dissertation tutor, and he hadn't told me before that. Oh, wow. And it was oh. something like, I'd, all I need to, and I remember just going for like weekly meetings, uh -huh. and I would just sort of sit there and vomit some stuff, <laughs> and then Baz would say a few like very intelligent yes, things. Yes, Baz Kershaw. Baz Kershaw, oh, like yeah. a very, you know, genius. No, and I'd like I'd go and like rewrite the whole <laughs> thing. Write it down. Um, Baz is lovely as well. I've met Baz loads of times now. So he's doing been doing the Meadow project oh, at Warwick University. Oh, so he was wonderful. And I think it mm. is a lot of those influences because um, Four Sense used to come into Roehampton quite a lot when I was a student. Right. And do workshops with us, and they produced a lot of work at Riverside Studios yeah. at that mm. in that time. Mm. Riverside seems to have stopped kind of making or. Hosting it's that kind of work, isn't it? yeah. But when I was there, they every other week I was at yeah. Riverside Studios or at Battersea. Or yeah, I remember seeing Entertainment. Or the lyric yeah. as well. We were always off in the lyric because Roehampton's so yeah. close to all of those things. But it's yeah. interesting how these things seem to be bubbling out of, isn't it? Whether it's yeah. related to space and place, or if that's related to people who are associated with yeah. those places, I don't know. And I think there's literally a whole PhD just in that yeah. kind of mapping of these sort of cultural phenomena yeah. and whether sort of bubbling out. It's almost just the books that happen to be in a library, isn't it, actually? Because, yeah, I mean, like, yeah. having not known Baz's... Because I never actually, like, worked directly with Baz mm -hmm. until my dissertation. But obviously, yeah, all of those kind of imprints must have been yeah. laid somewhere in the department. Just kind of there. And yeah. I think um, I've only realised very recently as a, a lecturer how much influence you have in the things that you choose to expose them to and the things you, you stock yeah. the library with for them. Yes. Yeah. And it, it just astonishes me daily yeah. that, that that has so much influence. Yeah. But of course, when you reflect on your own career, you're like, of course it does. Absolutely, of yeah. course, people yeah. you encounter who uh, expose you to new things or expose you mm. to thinking about things or practicing Especially in a different that age way. as well. Yeah, exactly. It's like, if I remember... Sorry, I'm not talking No, about no, that. it's um, fine. Um, feeling quite frustrated at Bristol, especially towards the end, because I felt like the tutors didn't really talk much about their own practice, mm. or at least as much as I really wanted and they were all practitioners. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so kind of doing the MA was, was, I mean, entirely a completely different experience, but was led by a wonderful director who, you know, was a brilliant kind of leader to all of us, but mm. also just talked really honestly about being a director. Which is And we just, really which helpful. is great. Um, <laughs> um, 
and and in a very kind of like nuts and bolts way. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had just had all these amazing people, you know, weekly just coming to sort of shower. Deliver. Yeah. We were just, you know, <laughs> and at that age, you're such a sponge as well, aren't you? Just, you yeah. kind of just absorb all of yeah. these yeah. things, which is amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Like, you write down some stuff, but actually, you can't write it down. And and actually, I mean, it is, you have to sort of trust that actually the important stuff, the stuff that's relevant to mm-hmm. you, will stick. And I think the things yeah. that stick and the things that kind of resonate with you are then what drive, what are the drives for that yeah. work, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, I'm saying, you find ways of enabling making the work you want to make in whatever ways you yes. kind of can yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. especially within a, in a context where there's you know dwindling funding where there's dwindling access yeah it becomes hugely challenging yeah <laughs> yeah and I think yeah and I suppose those constraints can be really valuable I mean I, I was sort of I always sort of trying to point Greg we just couldn't afford so much and we started doing work outdoors because I think you know I like think it was a bit more mm-hmm. thought through than that but that was definitely there was definitely an element of that. I constantly have the challenge now of um, bums on seats become a huge thing because oh. I do mostly one-on-one or small oh, things. Oh, cool, yeah. That can see maybe one or Ridiculous three audience model. at once. <laughs> and it's just like, yeah. people are like, how do we make money from this? Yeah. And I'm like, ah, that no. I don't know yet. <laughs> no, and it's so hard from, you know, I think the work that we've done, which is really, I think, you know, we've, like the more we've done it, we go, oh no, it's, it's really very site specific aren't we very site responsive so it makes it impossible to take it anywhere else yes to yeah. ensure it effectively I mean actually with, with the first locate, yeah. yeah I mean with the first piece with Lover's Walk which was the first thing we did with High Hearted it was sort of like the best kind of the cleanest most marketable piece of work we did because it was just a two-hander and we did actually we started it in Brighton mm-hmm. um, at Brighton Fringe Festival um, and then we did it in London, but that and we so we rewrote it and kind of because it was all event. It was about a tour guide. Yeah, so it's places. always about having to kind of and that's that yeah. actually brings me yeah. to the next thing I was going to ask about. So mm. in 2010, you founded High Hearted yeah. uh, with Marcello de Santos, Marcello, uh, Marcello, uh, in order to create original work for you on your website for non-conventional theatre spaces, mm. placing an emphasis on narrative and new writing. So can you explain to the listeners a bit more about High High Hearted and kind of what you were sort of working towards as a company, I know we talked a little bit about yeah. that, if you can expand on that. Sure, I can try, certainly. <laughs> I think, yeah, well, I think we sort of hit on that definition a few, probably not in 2010, but a little bit after. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we, I mean, me, Marcella was a writer, I'm a director, nominally. For High Hearted, we occasionally written together um, in a sort of combination of ways. Um, and I think we're both interested in being told stories mm-hmm. um, and you know, a story. Um, but we're also um, really interested, I think, in what happens to audiences and to the relationship between audiences and artists um, when you take them out of a theatre building. Mm-hmm. I think I've got quite tired of watching theatre in dark spaces yeah. and sitting still. Um, and you know, I, some theatre I love sitting in a dark space, but it felt... I don't know. I mean, and when even when I did performing, I think I the only kind of acting I felt that I was sort of doing honestly was where you were talking directly to the audience. Yeah. And I just found it quite difficult to to sort of believe in theatre and think it was honest and could yeah, tell a story. I agree. Where you know you're just ignoring the fact you're that you're ignoring. The the <laughs> and uh, for me, yeah. that but it's become uh, and the more it goes on, the more I I find that ethically problematic yeah, to ignore yeah. all these people sat in the dark watching yeah. you. Feels 
deceitful in a, in a really does, difficult yeah. way. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think more recently I've thought, you know, on a wider level, because, you know, there is a problem, like, we want to kind of get new audiences into theatre, and, and I don't know why anyone would want to go and pay a lot of money to go and sit in a dark mm-hmm. space and be ignored for two hours. But, yeah, I mean, so I think it just sort of felt like this is, this is what I like about theatre, this is what is different about theatre. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it, you know, it didn't necessarily have to happen outdoors, or, but, you know, that outdoors was where we started making theatre. Um, and, and I suppose, I mean, interestingly, when I have been thinking about this, I don't know quite where Immersive sits within High Hearted or, or Macbeth. Yeah, um, I going to very much come to that. I'm sure you're so difficult um, to think about. Yeah, that. but I mean, I think with the work that we did, certainly to start with, with High Hearted, we were interested in how we could change a space or a place. Um, and get people, get people who knew that space to look at it differently. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we were interested, I suppose, in taking people to, you know, somewhere like Brighton Seafront, which is, you know, kind of iconic and everyone knows. And then later, um, around in London, the sort of Tower Bridge mm-hmm. and that sort of London to Southwark area. So places um, that, you know, people know really well, um, but actually taking them to the bus stops and the mm-hmm. bins around the back mm-hmm. um, so that they... You know, just yeah, looked at a space in a different way. Yeah. So I think our work has been not about transforming a space, but I suppose reconfiguring a space through yeah. the bodies that exist within mm-hmm. it and and the stories that are being told. So it's that kind of it. reframing of, of yeah, um, and a recontextualizing. Yeah, definitely. Rather than a transformation. Yeah. And I think I mean a later piece of work we did that was seen by about three people um, in the rain in Reisley. Although it was a lovely piece of work. Um, it took place in a sort of historic manor farm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I felt like watching that, I was like, oh, actually, it's really important to give people the space mm-hmm. to look at their surroundings. That, that becomes part of the performance as well. Yeah, and, yeah. and you have this amazing stage, which always becomes different things because obviously in Brighton and in London, we were constantly kind of surrounded by people and there yeah. were people right up against us um, and sort of would gain people because these were like promenade seaters that were yeah. taking us around um, and people would watch for a little bit and go away. Will you create that kind of doubling as well, don't you? Because you have kind of that performative frame that you're using within that space too, but also mm. that's embedded in people going about their kind of their everyday. And yeah. it, although it's not about transforming the space, it has the potential to be transformative for the participants, mm. the performers, and for yeah. people who might encounter that accidentally on their way yeah. home from work. Yeah, no, for exactly. Example. Yeah, and I think yeah, if you're sort of just changing the perspective on a yeah. on a place, is is sort of what we're hoping to do. Um, but we, but we, I suppose also because we like narrative, we like stories, yeah. and yeah. you know we sort of new writing. So I suppose also another thing that I think at the time, I don't know when immersive theatre started. Um, but when uh, we, <laughs> we did it, there seemed to be like a little sort of bubble of, yeah. of like suddenly like, oh, everyone's doing work outside. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and obviously, you know, Punch Dunk, I suppose, was around that time. Um, but I think we were always like, we take the audience on the same journey. There's yeah. one story and yeah. everyone's going to go on it together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, again, was probably just this is how it works for us. This is the only way we can sort of logistically <laughs> tell this story. Um, but then there's something I quite like about that sort yeah, of yeah. that um, let's you know it's a shared experience yeah. and we're all going to go on it together 
And we always thought after Lover's Walk that it was quite, it could have been quite an effective sort of um, live dating experience. Yes, yes. Because everyone, like at the end, was really happy and believes in love, and it was like, (laughs) (laughs) now to the bar. (laughs) Well, obviously, that was one of the first pieces of work you made at High Hearted, wasn't it? Can you um, tell us a little bit more about that, right? So you've talked a little bit about it, but can you Mm -hmm. be a bit more explicit about kind of, without spoilers potentially, of course? About Lover's Walk. Yeah, about Mm. Lover's Walk. Um, Yeah, it was. it was the story of a couple's relationship um, told through the places that were significant to their relationship. Um, so, but you met them, you met Matt and Rosie, who were two actors called Matt and Rosie, who weren't going out. Um, and they introduced themselves as tour guides, as Matt and Rosie. Okay. And they took you, and they t- everything was told in the third person, I think. Um, okay. Yeah. okay. Um, so they took you on a journey. Um, in Brighton, it started in the pavilion garden yeah, yeah. Um, and took you sort of round the lanes and then onto the beach um, and so and as it was told the idea was that you they sort of got more the sort of the storytelling broke down a bit because you realised they were telling their own story yeah, yeah. Um, and so they became more emotionally engaged um, and it sort of started you know this is the meeting and this is where they had their first kiss and, and then there's like a moment of betrayal and you know, heartbreak, I suppose, and then it all ended emotionally, yeah. <laughs> like on Brighton Pier, or just at the bottom of Brighton Pier. Um, and I remember thinking, like, afterwards, because all four of us at that time were very happy relationships, and I was like, uh-huh. I think this piece of work really came out of, or it wouldn't have been, it would have been very different. Yeah. If, yeah. If you know, we've been in different places, yeah. or you know, and because uh, like reading it now, like it's very uncynical. Like I don't think I could write that. Now. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't think I believe that. Now. Um, even though I do love it as a piece of work, it yeah. felt very kind of buoyant. And and how many did you? How how many people did you kind of take around in a group? Did you kind of repeat it as well over? Yeah, I think we would do, in Brighton. We did it. I think we did it like twice a day three or four days a week, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and we would take, I think it was about, I don't even remember, I think probably about 20, yeah. 25. It always expands. You, I mean, you always aim for like 10, 15. Yeah. But then actually, I think we did find that when you actually, you can up the numbers and it actually helps before it gets to before like... Before it gets, yeah, Because people kind of huddle in a bit more. Yes. Um, and uh, because I think with that sort of promenade work, <laughs> the, the main fear people have is that, you're going to act at them. Yes, yes, exactly. Or that they're um, going to be singled out to do something. Absolutely, yeah. And they, they don't want to do, that. Want to do that. And I don't want to do that. No, <laughs> like, no. I hate Nobody wants to be in town. It's like, no, don't pick on me. Of, like, I don't want the fourth wall, but I don't, yeah, <laughs> I don't want you to look at me. Um, so, but yeah, I think always we would pick up probably a few mm. people along the way. And it can become, and this is the interesting thing about the work, isn't it? And I'm quite interested in the way duration and, and, and endurance are a slightly separate thing. And mm. although for the audience it's, it's not duration or it's not kind of endurance in that respect, actually because of the way you have to operate when you're working with small audiences like that, actually sometimes it can be quite gruelling. I mean, I've, I do one-on-ones, so... Yeah, that must be quite intense. Yeah. Even if I see ten people, that's probably taken four hours, and that's yeah. four hours solid. <gasps> and then yeah. there's a queue still of 30 people wanting to... Yeah have a go yeah, you're like it's just me yeah <laughs> and so actually for the performance it becomes the repetition that starts to happen in that yeah. must be something that's really i'm really interested in what that does to yeah. the performers and what that does to the nature of the storytelling as well yeah. and to the experience once it's been kind of 
that repetition, but repetition, but both a difference every time. Yeah. And so I, I have no answers to it, but I'm no. very, very interested in. No, it's interesting. I mean, it was interesting. Does. Yeah, I mean, it was you know, and because it was because it's like physical as well. You're like going on a walk mm-hmm. <laughs> as well, um, and you know, sometimes it's raining, and yeah, of course. you know, they have to sort of as you know, they're also because when we did that, we had. No ushers or anything, you know, we were like, we're here, you know. We're here, um, <laughs> So they're having to kind of, you know, keep the audience together and guide them. And yeah, and if you're doing even, t- I mean, that was only an hour long, that show, but yeah. if you're doing it and then you have to kind of go and sit down for half an hour and do another. And then do another. It is, yeah. yeah. And also always, you know, battling different, different things. I mean, yeah. like, I remember one day in Brighton, there was a massive, there was just a huge promotion for like an energy drink. You know, right next to oh it, it was God. just like huge so speakers. Yeah, like, constantly oh, fighting against that going. Yeah. Oh. And that's one of the challenges, I guess, isn't it? Is the moment you take something outside of that kind of performance or theatrical yeah. space, there are always, you never quite know what you're going to be kind of coming up against. And no, it's also quite impossible to predict. I mean, there are some things mm. you can manage can't you, in terms of um. how you think audience might behave in certain ways. Mm. But there are like that things like that happen and it's like okay so we're yeah. just gonna have to yeah just work around um, this yeah and you know, like you've got no like, literally no technology of any kind we've always been very like you know pared down i'm very analog, analog as well yeah for me it is about and the one thing that's always even though I, i'm not very interested in kind of theater per se anymore i would say mm-hmm. the one thing that has stuck with me in my work and most of the people i've spoken to is is the liveness it's the liveness yeah. that's important and it's the real the real engagement of people coming together in that space in that moment yeah. whatever that space or that moment might be mm. and which is why I think that the ignoring is is so problematic against that and also it, mm. the Victorians kind of made that the dominant form for us and it hasn't always been that no. either so it's so strange no it's funny actually yeah it almost feels <laughs> like there was this you know when you sort of yeah I mean that was why you know I'm sure talk about Macbeth but that didn't <laughs> feel strange but so yeah I mean there's yeah. sort of was a strange flip where we just but it's become this kind of dominant sort of yeah. mode hasn't it of just sort of delivering um to people who are sort of passively it's quite involved. receiving it is yeah very much so but theatre hasn't always been that way and no like, this is one of the things I, I really struggle with the students I'm like you consider this to be kind of like the dominant form like yeah. actually mm. for thousands of years it was yeah. not like this <laughs> this is yeah. a really small moment in yeah in the history of theatre yeah why was it so powerful and yeah why has it been so powerful yeah. and why has it kind of persisted and persisted mm. throughout our kind of culture in the west which i yeah. think is very strange but i think there are loads of forms now that are challenging that and yeah i think that's that for me is exciting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, definitely. I mean, there's like interaction. I think has become. Like so after um, Lovers Walk, you went on yeah. to do Births, Marriages, and Deaths. Did. Can you tell us a little bit about yeah. that piece of work? Yeah, that was. Well, this is the one in in Vizlet yes. on Manor Farm, um, and th- this was yeah, it was a kind of commission. <laughs> although um, yeah, I mean, it was. The, so we, I think we only got two performances of that in the end. Um, but we were, this is the first piece working with a few different writers. So we worked with my friend, okay. again, but also Clara Brennan um, and Nikki Williams. Um, and we, and it was, I suppose, we realised, yeah, there's a, I mean, I think this was the beginning of a couple of pieces of work where we were like, oh, you can do a sort of historical, mm-hmm. not really, I don't know, it was a sort of, you know, that we, because this was a commission. I mean, okay, there were lots of stories to tell here, so there's a kind, yeah. of, kind of nice angle on that. Um, but I think we've always wanted to kind of put a bit of a modern in, even when it's historic. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was, we sort of told different stories of women. I think it became all about women mm-hmm. um, who had lived in Vicelet. Because it was, 
Varieslip was, I think, when the Metropolitan Line was first built. So it suddenly became, and that's like at the end of the Metropolitan yes, Line. And yeah. this was the first. Yes, I'm remembering my like stop, really ancient it? research. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. um, and so it was kind of opened it all up, and yeah, it was suddenly like you can live in the suburbs, but still like going to London. Um, but it does feel very, you know, it's quite a, a strange place in itself. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, it's it's a very long way, I think, from from London yes. and like cultural <laughs> hub. Um, but it, yeah, so it, we, I mean, I suppose the thing that was nice about this piece was we had this brilliant. Um, natural state, mm-hmm. which was a sort of enclosed park almost, because they have the manor house and then, and it's, it's open, so you know, people, it's open to the public, but it's, it's always quite quiet. Um, and it was all, and it's beautiful, and there's kind of 16th century barns and mm-hmm. the manor house and then beautiful views. Um, so it meant that we could sort of play around with having, you know, sort of a couple of actors there and then sort of that perspective of seeing someone in the distance, which obviously was like yeah. impossible in central London yeah, or, yeah and that exactly. was something I always wanted to, kind of, to sort of slightly engineer a view yeah um and that was yeah so that was the sort of thing that I think felt different that's something that's very British actually isn't it? all of our major cities um you don't have to go for very long before you kind of encounter kind of that sort of countryside I think which is so nice yeah. we have these kind of huge urban mm. sort of developments but very quickly yeah well like with the tube you can go in several directions yeah. on the tube and at the end of the tube yeah. you'll find yeah. This kind of glorious, beautiful kind of countryside. Yeah, I mean it's amazing. Yeah, which it's is really asto- I'm always I'm always astonished by it Absolutely. even now. And it's yeah, kind of like even just literally you're 40 minutes out of the city mm. and you're like in national traffic. Yeah, you're in you know parklands, yeah. which is I always yeah. just think is astonishing in yeah. the UK. And I, I kind of love that about like a Cam- um, my parents live near Cambridge, so mm. literally 15 minutes driving out of the city and you're in yeah. fens. Yeah. <laughs> It's really amazing, isn't it? And um, so I think that's yeah. really lovely as well, and, and that um, linking it to that kind of history of the development of mm. kind of women being able to kind of access London and yeah. also access that kind of suburbia as well. Yes. I think is really yeah, I mean, I think the kind of the sort of strongest stories in that narrative were the kind of. She's so cute. She's so cute. It's, um, it's actually fairly appropriate. Um, yeah, with a sort of like stories of you know housewives trapped in suburbia and oppressive husbands and. Yeah, you know, which it's so actually, I mean, that was 2011, I think. Mm-hmm. So I feel like actually, you know, since then, like, there's so much feminism and, or there's so many blows to feminism, I feel like, in the past year. So there's a sort of, yeah. um, a sort of re firing, I think, of that. But I think we were just, you know, it didn't take well, this to make a, me a feminist. It there's a really odd attitude at the moment, isn't it? Well, feminism was one. Mm. Um, but actually, I think there's been some huge erosions of yeah. some of the kind of the. the the major wins of that yeah. very recently, and yeah. I can I can only see that actually getting worse yeah. with the current context of Brexit and Trump. Yeah. And I find it quite worrying and scary, yeah, very worrying. Actually. And I think um, a lot of young people feel very apathetic about it. They feel mm. very alienated from the term feminism, yeah, because they don't really have access to kind of what that yeah. actually might mean. And yeah, I, I'm always saying to them like, it's just about equality, and like if yeah. you believe in human rights, it's so just about everybody yeah. being treated with dignity and respect yeah. and the same. Who wouldn't want that? It's, it's, so it's, it's, yeah, I don't know how that rhetoric's become almost poisoned for that generation. Yeah, I, think, I mean, it feels like, I mean, I remember feeling like as a sort of strident 17 year old, kind of going, if you're, if you're not a feminist, you're not a socialist. And then at some point, <laughs> yeah, kind exactly. of saying, oh, no, but no one wants to be a socialist. Yeah. And like, yeah. Oh, dear. <laughs> this, you know, it's a kind of capitalist yes. ethic that is really yes, taking is. over and that is quite anti 
Yeah. I mean, human rights. Yeah, and because, human rights. <laughs> and, you know, and because I think it's sort of, I mean, that realisation, I think, quite recently, I was like, oh, it's, it's not, like, people don't think it's a bad thing to be really, really capitalist anymore. I always thought it was. Yeah, me too. It's just that's my, why intrinsic, my, genu- <laughs> my, act, my genuine attitude is kind of like, um, this is something we need to push against. Yeah, or find, you know, just at least find a different way. And then yeah. suddenly you go, oh, no, no, everyone, was, everyone thinks this is really great. Everyone's happy with that. And like, if you're a good capitalist, then that's good. So... I th- yeah, that was it's a bit of, bit has of been shock. a bit of a head shift to me. Yes. Just going, I'm not, you know, I've always thought of myself as fairly, you know, mainstream. And then yeah, you're like, oh, yeah. no, I'm really at odds. <laughs> I know. All at the last year has shown me that maybe I'm not yeah. very much in touch with the general yeah. kind of attitudes and ideas. Because yeah. it's shocked me. Yeah. No, I felt <laughs> really... I mean, since... I suppose, I mean, 2010, I suppose then, actually, with that, the election then, uh, I remember thinking, well, there'll be, there'll be a mutiny. Yeah, that's there'll what be I like, thought. There'll be like, a revolution. There'll be a revolution. Of course well, there will be. And you're just waiting for it. And then, oh, oh, oh no, like, I, oh. Right. Yeah. And then it's just, it's like, since then, actually. So it's interesting that that's when we started. <laughs> I know, and since then it's just yeah. kind of escalated. And yeah. sort of, it's basically spreading across the whole globe. Yeah. And you're like, what's going on? It's in a, I was talking to someone recently who was like, um, I think it was just after Brexit as well. And he was like, I've been spending lots of time with like radical socialists who are kind of slightly advocating that maybe it's good for society to go through a sort of dose of really like extreme, um, like right wingism. Yeah. Like, I feel like we've been doing yeah, that for a while, though, yes. so, and it's not doing any good. So let's let's not it's like we, let's I not grew do that. Up in the Thatcher era, so yes. and, and as a liberal arts person. Yeah, we. I feel we have had that for, yeah. for since the seventies. Really, really, yeah. And it's kind of. Like, I think we were sort of just emerging from it. But <sighs> Me no. too. I really thought we were, and now we're kind of been plunged yeah. sort of back into that space. And I think it's actually going to be worse. I think now. so. Yeah, I think there was a moment where I felt like, wow, you know, let's challenge. You know, this is a kind of great opportunity for artists, but because yes. like the world is so different, you can't, you can't do it no, <laughs> in the I same know, way because. You have to sort of buy into the capitalism in no way. Yeah. But I think that's, I do think that's why, like, the younger generation, oh, it, has, it sounds really patronising to talk about them, but, you know, are, are hesitant to kind of identify as feminists and yes, socialists. Yeah, and yeah. Because it's, the world, it's not the world they've grown up in. No, and, not you at know, all. And um, I find the fundamental things being challenged, you know, I, I thought I genuinely believed in democracy, and now I am questioning what mm. democracy might be yeah. and are there alternatives to that as well so yeah. it's this really uh, over yeah. the last two years I can't believe how much I'm just kind of going I need to completely read like reconsider and challenge yeah. some of my basic assumptions here about yeah. people and life and what yeah. I consider to be valuable and yeah. worthwhile yeah and actually and it's sort of I mean you know the theatre industry itself it can be quite you know capitalist and isolating and alienating so it does you know and now yeah I suppose with (coughs) the kind of I feel like all I'm doing at the moment is looking for funding and it's yeah me too I spend and and it's the same in academia yeah this weird shift I spend 60% of the time when I could be making or writing applying for the possibility of making or writing with very little chance of success as well because it's so competitive and I feel like they've pitted us against each other, mm. which was a kind of clever thing to yeah. do. Oh, yeah, very clever. Instead of yeah. us working against them, mm. now we're all competing with yeah. each other to get the tiny, tiny scraps mm, that mm, mm. will enable us yeah. to do work. And yeah. It's challenging, I think, to keep a positive. But I'm, I'm very belligerent, so I'm like, yeah. I don't care. I'm going to make 
work, and especially because I make one-on-one too, so I'm like, I can make my work yeah. whenever I want, wherever I want, and I'm yeah. going to. Yes, yeah, no, no, I think <laughs> it's really these yeah. things. I think, yeah, you have, you have to carry on making it, don't you? Because otherwise, yeah. you can get very ground down. Yes, but, yeah. Um, I suppose I think, well, I've been in, I've stuck with it this long and I've never yeah, exactly, really exactly. made any money. And there are ways, aren't there? That's the thing, when you come under pressure like that, you find, you become creative and finding yeah. ways to enable things and make yeah. things Yeah, and the conversations get more interesting as well and more sort yeah. of passionate, I suppose. So. And actually, in some yeah. ways, it, it, although we're competing for funds, I actually think that is, that is a separate thing. I think the artistic community at the moment is yeah. actually quite kind of cohesive. Yeah, yeah, I think it is, actually. Because yeah. we're all in shock, I think. So yeah. We're still in this space of going, yeah. uh, oh, I had no yeah. idea what's yeah. going on. And I looked at, because I was thinking, who? Who did that? Because when I looked at my Facebook feed and all of that, I was like, <laughs> and then I remember, I surround yeah. myself, of course, of course I do, with academics yeah. and, mm. and other practitioners, because that's the circles I move in. I thought, yeah. So of course, it's your your own worldviews are being constantly reaffirmed yeah. by generally the other people yeah. that you choose to associate with and who you know reaffirm your, yeah. your worldview. but it's funny because <laughs> then there was a sort of sort of almost backlash against that after like brexit and i remember yeah. like on social media lots of people say all you fools who say what just happened like you need to go out and live in the real world like, I, 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 do. I do i really do <laughs> but i think they're wrong <laughs> i don't you know i don't want to have to listen to that and and you know they're not going to convince me, no. and I know that's what. Well, there's no do. discourse going on, and that's no. what worries me the most. Actually, it's yeah. just sound bites and, and, and kind of rhetoric yeah. Yeah. rather than actual discussion. Yeah, and, and people feel like they kind of cling to their points of view very, yeah. very um, defensively. Ardently, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that is challenging, but I think we are um, fortunate in some respects because experience is the one way you can. I think discourse has become difficult but I think sometimes people can be changed through the way they feel and I think performance has a real way of changing how people might yeah, feel I think yeah and it's that going back to that reframing yeah. thing again just by potentially giving someone the space to reconsider reframe then there is that transformative which of course Baz mm. argues is radical yeah potentially yeah. so I hold on that for me is what I hold on to I'm like even if one person feels that they want to reevaluate or reconsider yeah. something about themselves mm. that that's enough for yeah. me that kind of radical potential of whatever they might reconsider mm. or really think about yeah but no if I've given them the space or the opportunity to do that in their yeah. lives I think that's that's something that I kind of can hold on to yeah no I think, I think you have to you have to believe that theatre can change the world and yeah. and in that way you know not in a sort of it might make one person look at something yeah a bit differently and that's yeah, that's I think when you say that, people kind of think Brecht, don't they? And these kind of huge, yeah. grand, let's yeah. make everybody kind of socialist. And yeah. actually, it's, it's much more everyday and mundane yeah. than that. Yeah, yeah. And the possibility for change happens one at a time. Yes, yeah. And, in, <laughs> and sort of gradually, you know, over, over little bits. Of yeah, over little yeah. things. Yeah. So after um, Births and Marriages, yes. you did uh, Cheer Up, is Cheer that correct? Up. At the Playhouse, which is yeah. a slightly sh- a shift in. We went inside. Went inside, <laughs> exactly. So you kind of shifted yeah. from this kind of promenade into that kind of theatrical space. Yes. Um, although it was, it happened everywhere in the theatre apart, apart from the on theater, the day. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this was for Liverpool's Playhouse, their hun- their centenary, um, and we created a piece um, that we. Yeah, it was. So it happened all throughout the. I mean, the Playhouse. It's such a funny building, and it's like, I mean, I grew up in Liverpool, so it's just kind of like the theatre I just 
no. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, there were places I'd never, lots of places I'd never been there. Yeah. Um, including, they have this the, the original box oh, office, which you can't go in because it's like protected. Oh, wow. um, but it's absolutely beautiful, you know, and it's like got all the kind of like little boxes that like very small women obviously had to like yeah. sit inside <laughs> yeah. post tickets. Um, and that was, I suppose, so that again was a, a sort of historical piece of work anyway, because we, you know, wanted. It felt like, okay, this is a piece to celebrate the centenary yeah. from the Liverpool Rep, which was started in 1911, um, to the kind of theatre of the current day. Um, but I suppose also because I grew up in Liverpool and, you know, I was, I know when the theatres closed and it was, there were like really dark times in Liverpool as well. Um, so I sort of, I suppose, wanted to tell that story. So I think we also managed to tell a bit of the story of, the socialist story, I think, of, yeah, you know, yeah. this is when the theatres closed. Um, and and that sort of, I mean, we told yeah we sort of walked through the theatre, through all the backstage, met you know sort of moved through time I suppose. So it started um, in nineteen eleven, sort of with the sort of hangover of the um, of the musical that, um, and we'd found you know there's a lot written about it, and, um, <laughs> and so we sort of based some of it on on real life, you know, people who. Maud, Maud something, who was taken, I think she was a sort of like, you know, costume girl in the early days and then basically yeah. became general manager. Of the yes, yes. So she sort of appeared throughout the story. Um, but it was, um, but also I think, yeah, there were, so then there were moments you know, moving through and kind of going, you know, sort of trying to tell the more radical times because obviously the Playhouse then became this amazing kind of yeah, new yeah. writing theatre and, and was really important for me, I think, growing up as, you know, mm-hmm. a theatrical space. Um, and also, but there were lovely, I mean, we worked at the end, I'm telling this in a very backward way, but we were <laughs> Marcelo wrote and moved to sort of wrote the core of it, but we were, were able to work with Chloe Moss and Jeff Young and Helen Blakeman, all like fantastic Liverpool writers, um, who obviously all have very personal connections yeah, yeah. to the theatre. Um, and, and they were all sort of, you know, they were about the theatre, but they were about, I suppose, the nature of theatre as well. And, like, Jeff's were always stick in my mind because we, there's this, there was a secret room just to, like, the, like, to the stage left of the auditorium. You know, I mean, it's a sort of underneath a lighting rig or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, so he, you know, wrote a little play um, about a guy who snuck in, who stole into the theatre and the 80s um, because it was based on his memory of seeing Blood on the Doll which is a play by um, Jim Jim Morris um, who um, and he wrote this beautiful play um, that was turned into a television play about being young and unemployed in Liverpool and this made such a mark on like a teenage Jeff that he became a writer and he's Mm -hmm. now this beautiful Mm -hmm. very poetic wonderful (laughs) iconoclastic writer um, so, so sort of stories like that, you know, they're like, this is, this is what Liverpool is, this is what theatre is. Um, and actually, I think that piece, because it was all about the writers and all about the new writing, and, and we are quite about storytelling, I think, with High Hearted. Yeah. And that's, I think, you know, where, I don't know where the immersive bit sort of fits in or not. Um, and certainly, I suppose, in that piece, we were very much in, in the theatre all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I suppose being, again, it was that thing of being taken in different directions yeah, and sort yeah. of suddenly ducking backstage and then kind and of And those spaces out. that 
are usually hidden. Yeah. I love the idea yeah. of, of the fact that all of those things are hidden and kept secret from the audience and yeah. those things are kind of covered up. The magic, yeah. Are, are the magical yeah. places. And for yeah. me as a child, the thing that made me fall in love with the theatre were those other spaces yeah. and the yeah. smells of the dressing rooms yeah. and the dusty, the way the light was mm. always sort of dusky in the back yeah. of the theatre and the, the yeah. people that are kind of behind that stage yeah. space. It's always with the magic when I was a child, when I was, you know, when you're involved in a show, we are putting stuff yes, on. Yeah. They were the things that kind of stuck with me and I think, yeah, I mean, we, me. we finished that piece. Um, it sort of it took itself up to the present day and then we sort of joined this trail of actors going down um, to the side of stage. So we took everyone down. So you were literally sort of just next just to the stage. And it was like, oh, that actually, I sort of, that, Really feels, and then we took everyone out by the dock doors, um, and yeah, it, that was really that was a really beautiful, yeah. beautiful moment, I think. Um, and it was, and I think it was, it was sort of. I mean, Liverpool is like a very special place, and emotions are very. You know, people are very are emotional. I think and really mm -hmm. care about things, <coughs> and because it also you know, there was a lot of celebrating going on at that time because yeah, you know yeah, it was yeah. about a theatre, but it did feel like everyone really really embraced that kind of good-hearted spirit of it and we just yeah. sort of felt you know really happy to and be there it's something yeah. that i'm quite interested in as well as this idea of using performance as a way of capturing legacy and heritage mm. and yeah it kind of feeds into all of those things and i think for women there's a really good reason why when sort of live art was born in the kind of the 60s that women kind of really took that on and were like this gives me a voice this gives me a platform yeah. to capture and tell my stories yeah. and to kind of reassert myself into history yes. in that way and so projects yeah. like this I think are so important because mm. they use kind of performance as a way of capturing mm. and re-performing yeah. and bringing to life yeah. that heritage and that legacy so, yeah. so it really connects back with the communities who it belongs to mm. yeah. and so that's something that mm. I kind of really exciting you know, but again it's that kind of shift isn't it from kind of being promenade and being outside yeah. and then to coming and being kind of responding to that site but it's not just the site it's responding to that psychogeography yeah. that makes up oh that yeah story. and you know that sort of I suppose and I suppose in a way that was yeah quite conscious we had a character who you know sort of t was our friend through the play who you know was who he he thought he was um, the idea was he thought he was in a dream and um, so he only had his pants on but he thought he was having like you know the actor's nightmare of where you're on, a, you're yeah, on stage, you're on stage and, and just um, hands. But then at the end of the play, he realizes he's awake and he's like, yeah. should be on stage. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he, you know, that he, we were able, sort of, through him, I think, to talk a lot about you know, the kind of echoes in those walls and just yes, like yeah. those lives and, you know, the kind of, yes, the sort of pressure and the wonder of treading over those spaces, yeah, yeah. I think, which is what site specific work is about. So, one of the things um, I really wanted to talk to you about is this idea of the language that's being used at the moment. So immersive is being used as this kind of mm. crazy catch-all mm. that people seem to have just sort of latched onto. And I was in a really big meeting the other day with a load of people from Creative Technologies, and they they use the same language to mean completely different yes. things as well. So this is <laughs> kind of, of immersion in gaming and immersion in the Creative yeah. Technologies means something very different to potentially what it means in the theatre. Yeah. So, and lots of work whether we want it to be or not at the moment seems to be pushed. I mean, when I started my PhD, I was writing about this kind of work, but I was not using the term immersive and neither was anybody else. No. I was kind of saying interactive, participatory, um, kind of engage, audience engagement mm. uh, or audience enabling. And But immersion seems to have kind of blown up, yeah. taken over and sort of catches us all under it. So we're, we're bound to 
consider our relationship to that term, but also yeah. in the ways that it's so problematic, I think, yeah. for us. And I wanted you to kind of talk about where you think sort of promenade and site specific sit in relation to this huge thing that sits yeah. over the top of us now. I think it is a, it is a fact, because I don't think I remember it being around. No. Like, definitely, it never occurred to us, like, when we started High Hearted, that no. our work would be that. And I suppose... And it, in a way, and I don't think this is entirely true, but it feels a little bit like, you know, it's a kind of great catch-all kind of publicity Publicity, yeah, it does feel like a huge Because it sort of tool. captures a sort of secret cinema. And I think, you know, what Punch Drunk do, I think... Is probably is immersive. Is immersive. Yeah, and I, I think agree. probably... Because they become, you know, they're, they're such a phenomenon. Um, and sort of, in a great way, you know, expanded theatre audiences, haven't they? Yeah, but I mean, I suppose to me, like... When, I, when we were sort of trying to work out what High Hearted was, we were like, well, immersive is sort of, is it like a, is it a quite highly designed space that you can transform? Mm. So you could go into a massive warehouse and turn it into you know, a, whatever, you well, know. Well, this fictive space, yeah. for me, it's very much, I think um, immersion is very much about fictive Yeah, yes, I think, yes. Spaces. And that I suppose that people can find their own path that. I mean, I think Dream Think Speak is a company whose work I love. Mm. Um, and um, oh, what was the piece I did in Brighton? They yeah, kind of managed. In a, yes. To kind of capture fictive elements, but also in that kind of slightly more sort of critical yeah. frame with that sort of connection to material. Yeah, and I think they, way. with their spaces, you are still very aware of the, the, origin, the bones of the space. That yes, you're in. yeah. Um, and so I suppose, I think we sort of settled on site responsive. Yeah. <laughs> because we were like, can you be site specific if you're also promenade? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, <laughs> it's Because so the moment yeah, then you move uh, it, and this is what we talked about earlier, if uh, you take it out of that space, uh, the space it was, the site it was responding to. Yeah. And, so it, and, and also because, you know, the very first piece we did was very specific to Brighton, but then we just yes. did it again in London, and so we yeah. remade the specificity of that. Um, so I think... And I, yeah, I think I was thinking about this, like knowing I would be talking to you. <laughs> and, the, and, you, and, you know, we've never, we have worked with designers, and, and the Macbeth we did, and that was really, really important. But with High Hearted, not so much. Um, or more, I suppose, as a kind of a co collaborator early on, yeah. more than, you know, a kind of idea yeah. of changing a space. <laughs> so I think it has become about, you know, the, the relationship between the audience and, yeah. and the reframing of a space. Yeah. Um, which, you know, could, could be immersive, I suppose, because it maybe it immerses you in a reality. You have to enter the story. Mm. And I guess in some respects as well, I, was, I think about it a lot because I deliver it and I talk to people about it a lot yeah. and I write about it and make. So I think sometimes maybe kind of big inv immersive environments, of course, like Punch Drunk, Secret Cinema, those mm. kind of things that you go into are immersive in that way. But maybe other work immerses you in yourself in a way that you can reconnect yeah it within a different context I don't know because I suppose with punch drunk you you sort of become you know they give you a mask or something don't they so you sort yeah. of become and I think that's brilliant because you don't they you don't don't see the audience I suppose and you become yes. yeah you just become um, a part yeah an extent well, a, a material part yeah. of that fictive yeah world and I think in. something we've always questioned is like who are the audience if we're talking if the performers yeah. are talking directly to the audience who are they, who are they? and yeah. most often we sort of settle on they're the audience. Yeah. <laughs> They're the people watching a play because we're doing a play. Um, 
But I think that is that's something that you know is is problematic in a good way. I think in a kind of that's something to to work out. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. But because obviously, like seeing other people looking at each other and watching a performance, you know, you're you don't believe that you're you're not being transformed somewhere, but um, you're creating an experience together, I suppose, and and so you have to find a way that they could be part of the space. I yes. Suppose. Yeah. So that brings me to talk about um, Macbeth, which yeah. I did uh, come and participate oh, in, in Clapham. Oh. <laughs> um, the guy who plays uh, Sherlock's enemy in the TV series was actually at the performance. Yes! Oh, I, was really, I always forget his name. Um, Andrew Scott. That's it. Um, it's really his, distinctive. His sister, isn't it? Um, ah, okay. a very wonderful actress in her own right. Okay. <laughs> that does yes. explain that then. Ah, yes. Because <laughs> I, I argued with my partner on the way home. I was like, it really was. He was like, no, it wouldn't be. I was like, it you was. Know. It really what was. was. <laughs> yeah, no, it was very exciting. <laughs> and when I went to see um, a version of Hamlet at River, was it at Riverside? Must have been at Riverside a very long time ago. Um, Benedict Cumberbatch was stood next to me because Dominic. Um, I always forget his name as well, but he, he um, was in it. <laughs> so I was like, every time I go to something, it's impressive. <laughs> you should have come in on last night because we have Vivian Westwood in the audience. Oh wow! Because she lives on, and she wrote this. Like I think, like the I don't know if it was a review, but it was the my favourite review review I've ever had because it was a sort of illustrating oh, journal. Wow! It was really amazing. It was a really one just like yeah. describing her experience of it. Um, so we we're all, yeah quite that's fabulous. Um, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what was it like um, working with that already established text, which again was a, was a kind of mm. shift, wasn't it? And that site. So did the site drive your process, or did that text? I think what happened first. I was. They were both, I suppose, into a certain extent, given to me. Yeah. So, um, it was not an inherited production, but I suppose omnibus. We knew at omnibus we were going. To, there was going to be a production of Macbeth. Yeah. Um, because we needed a kind of classic text. Yeah. Um, and I think when it sort of came to me, um, Marie, who's the artist director, um, we talked about it being promenade. And then at some point it got delayed, because I think originally it was going to be in the spring. Mm-hmm. And then we were like, it's going to be November, can we still do it? And I was like, yes, yeah. let's do it. it wasn't too um, <laughs> because I think always, it was like, when you've got a building that looks onto a common and you're doing Macbeth, you can't... Yeah. You can't ignore that. Um, and it was, you know, there were definitely, you know, kind of ambitious plans to do it all outdoors at one point, but that was, um, that couldn't even happen. Um, so I think, yeah, no, I think they sort of came together quite organically, I suppose, mm-hmm. those ideas. Um, neither, I feel like, oh, I, oh, not that I didn't have a choice in it, but that they kind of you know, yeah. came, came to me. Um, so I think... And then it was sort of finding a way and finding a, a world that they could sit within, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I think because I've you know, quite usually worked with narrative. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't necessarily a stretch, you know, a kind of different experience to work with that text. I mean, definitely taking on a Shakespearean text um, and a big promenade performance was probably too much. <laughs> it was very ambitious. Yeah. Um, you know, and for that, um, and I'm really, really proud of that production. I'm really proud that we went for it because I think in a way, Omnibus was, you know, in early days at that point. And, yes. and it felt like, we, let's do a massive 
ridiculously ambitious yeah. production because we need people to, you know, we and need to well tell. And it was well attended, wasn't it? And it really well sold attended. out most yeah. of the time. So. Um, so, you know, I think it was, it was the right thing to do then. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was worth just like going, right, we're just going to help a leather for it. Because we sort of wanted to announce ourselves, I think, mm-hmm. a bit. And I think we did. Um, and you still would be engaging in some of those things, which is, I mean, I go to, I end up in Clapham, I don't know how, all the time, mm. either Clapham or Clark Common or Clapham Junction. And mm. So that reframing of that such familiar yeah. space through a text as well that is so familiar because of its, you know, yeah. its canon and those characters. I think actually isn't so different from some of those earlier things that you've been working no. with. No, no, I don't. Think so. Yeah, and I think you know it was sort of in some ways a kind of <laughs> <laughs> so cute a logistical exercise of like where are the spaces we can use in the building, and and where can we use on the common? And that was you know a lot of you know in practical terms a lot of talking to different people and finding the spaces that we could use. <laughs> actually actually it was a really good production too. <laughs> <laughs> um and I think um there were even before I think we'd sort of hit on like what exactly the world was, I know there were places like the kind of um the fire escape at the back. Yes, yes. Like, yes, definitely, like she has to, well. Lady Macbeth has to be there reading the letter. And there's a window in the, what, in the studio theatre, although we didn't really use it as a theatre, that was like, this is, you know, where she's in the sleepwalking scene, you have mm-hmm. to sort of see the light coming from behind there. Um, so there were sort of those, you know, I really did want to try and use the building mm-hmm. because it was, I mean, probably, I was thinking we probably couldn't do it now because it's so much more advanced as a theatre building. Yes. <laughs> but at the time, it was still, you know, slightly in kind of like work in progress. So we were able to kind of do stuff with spaces, like fill a room with leaves um, that I'm not sure we, we, we could, would be able to do now. So yeah. it, was, it was like good timing in that way. Um, but I think I was thinking about how, whether it was immersive and how that worked and, and thinking, I feel like with Macbeth, which is a text, I mean, it's so good. He was really, he was really good when he was writing that, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like, I know. It's, it's, it's just the, the, the Weird Sisters yeah. and just Lady Macbeth is just, mm. you know, one of those most iconic yeah. female. Yeah. Because there are so few great female roles. I think that's it, yeah. And well. I think I was, yeah, so I was really conscious, I suppose, that the kind of, the witches, I suppose, in a way dictate or tell you, you know, the, what's the world of the play. Yeah. And then you sort of have this human struggle, which is Macbeth and Lady Macbeth, and and you can't really separate them, I think. Yeah. And I think I always knew, you know, I don't want to have a Lady Macbeth who's the kind of vicious demon, the, because yeah. I don't really believe no, in her. No, I don't either, you know, yeah. I don't think that's what she is. And, and you have to sort of, it's so much more interesting to sort of work out what's going on between them. Um, and I remember Jenny, who um, played Lady Macbeth, um, at her audition, talking about um, a study that some clever academic had done of um, Shakespeare's heroines, or I don't know if she's a heroine, female characters, mm-hmm. uh, and basically and sort of put them into different groups depending on like where they shared characteristics. Mm-hmm. And the only other woman in the same group as Lady Macbeth is Julia, oh. because they're completely instinctive characters. Yes. They act on women instincts so that something they happens don't and, they know, something. They do something, and they're yeah. really really dynamic kind of more so than I guess their male counterparts yeah I thought that was oh, so, interesting, so, so yeah, interesting that is interesting and was like that was sort of quite 
you know, meaningful, I think, in how the character developed with yeah. Danny playing her. Because we just thought she's, you know, she's this... The whole, that whole world was about surviving, you know, it was a sort of mm-hmm. post-civilisation world, I think, where we thought, you know, you have to... Which sort of was <laughs> about, you know, a capitalist system in a way, and that you have to... You have to have some kind of power in order to survive, otherwise yes, you just yes, fall yeah, yeah. by the way. Um, so the stakes of kind of killing the king were so much about just surviving, I think, yeah, and kind of yeah. getting the next thing. Um, and we sort of wanted to see that desperation, I think, in her. Well, I think, I mean, I mean, I felt that we had all of those kind of access to the inside of those characters in that world in a way that we wouldn't have if we had kind of sat and watched it in the dark. But also then, that journey from the station Mm-mm-mm. to the omnibus and through those yeah. kind of first scenes and being with those characters was that whole kind of reframing and locating it kind of within that site as well. So for me, it kind of had sort of both of those different things happen, like going on at yeah. the same time in those parts. So I thought that was, and for me, the smell, I remember <laughs> very distinctly the smell of the omnibus at that yes. time. And that was really evocative. Re- yeah, really evocative. Really I've got it now, it's that sort of dusty, misty. Yeah, yeah. And it was a real... So distinctive mm-hmm. in that space as well. And I, you could see the dust in the, yeah. in the air, in the lights, and uh, yeah. there was something I thought very, it was very powerful, yeah. very tangible about that for yeah. me. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, that's interesting, because I think we were conscious of kind of going, we, you know, we're slightly changing the space, but actually, oh, and the best as it is now is kind of, is a perfect bunker, you know? Yeah. <laughs> kind of like, yeah. So let's, you know, really use that sort of... Yeah. The kind of the the not completeness of it, the kind of mm-hmm. you know. I mean, we sort of wanted the idea, I think, especially with that coming. So you had a sort of quite long time outside, didn't you? And then you came in, yes. And where Lady Macbeth sort of greeted everyone, um, and yeah, this idea that you know they probably inhabit you know one small room of this vast kind of bunker, kind of bunker, because yeah, they can't afford yeah. to heat it. Yeah, so just uncovering, yeah. yeah, taking off all the dust sheets. And kind of desperately trying to make it look like a nice place yeah. to live, which it just like never did. Yeah, and like yeah. just then the horrible banquet with the kind of the, the spam and everything. Yeah. <laughs> it's always like yeah. So one That's of the difficulties with kind of all of the kind of work you make is <laughs> that there are audience in some yeah. respects. They yeah. are the joy and also present a challenge. Yeah. So what kind of challenges have you come across in terms of rehearsal and getting things off the ground mm-hmm. sometimes when you're extremely reliant on audiences to one extent or another mm-hmm. and then have there been moments when audience have just behaved in really errant ways that you couldn't <laughs> possibly sure, yeah. have imagined <laughs> well I think I mean the first part of that question I always think it's really funny because I'm aware that when I'm rehearsing like a promenade piece um I look like um, like a huge fan. I look like a crazy fan carrying around, like following these actors around with a notebook. Yeah. And these actors are sort of just rehearsing. And there's this strange woman just pursuing them. Madly. Um, like pretending, and always, you know, have this kind of like, sort of really like desperate smile on my face so they feel like really supportive. Um, so yeah, it is really strange, I think, being like directing a piece of, of promenade work outdoors where, yeah, you really can't, you don't know what audiences are going to do. And, but you just know that you're, you're looking at it in the best possible way. Absolutely. And, the audience, and you sort of just want... There's so much, I think, when you're watching it, you're like, please stand there, please, please. stand there, please don't stand there. <laughs> and you can't ever, no. ever make them do that. No. Um, and, like, I think it's funny, because my dad 
because he's wonderful comes to like I think everything I've done and and like actors are always like your dad is the best audience member ever because he just stands there does like, what he's told <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah I mean definitely I think audiences have done strange things I'm thinking actually the piece we did in Liverpool and this sort of had, this had a really interesting knock-on effect and sort of effect made us think about the work the next piece we wanted to make and yeah um, because one of the performances well the, the piece in Liverpool just because it was was the least wheelchair accessible mobility yeah. accessible yeah. ever yeah, it went spaces, you know in yeah. tiny staircases up you know just there was no way you could have got a wheelchair around and one of our performances because I think it was for a lot of kind of donors um, I would say we're 90% over 85 um, um, okay. and you know we're brilliant and really wanted to, to be there and followed it around and we were definitely at no point deterred but it, it took forever. <laughs> it took forever. <laughs> and I remember there's one bit where you kind of led everyone um, up to the top of the stairs. And at this point, you were kind of led up by one actor. And then at another point, this, another one would seamlessly come in and sort of collect them and take them and whisk them <laughs> off <laughs> backstage. And all of these people, all of the mostly older people, got to the top of the stairs, turned a sharp right and just sat down at all the tables there. And just sat there. Oh no! And we were like, no, like, no, you oh, have to go. And we just weren't. Always. They were like, no, this is the point where we have a little sit down. And it's like, okay, <laughs> And with that as well, because we were on like quite um, a quite um, tight timeline because they had yes. a main house show. So that was that was something where we thought, how can you do promenade theatre for for you know people who have mobility problems? Because yes. actually, people who come yeah. and see promenade theatre quite often a bit yeah. older than the average theatre audience I think yeah like maybe not immersive but promenade because I yes. think there's something about you get a walk and you get a piece of theatre yeah. and it's we've always found that with our pieces um so that was sort of something that has tapped into yeah it's a challenge I'm work. thinking about it at the moment as well yeah. as how do I make something yeah. accessible when it's in a challenging space yeah. or it requires act actions yeah. and acts to be committed as well as how do you do that and we're starting to think about how we potentially build two slightly different kind of performances yeah. around the same thing but one that is kind of explicitly ac built to be accessible yeah. and then one but then that's problematic as well in itself so it's it's so and I think it's because really challenging because you always have these journeys between locations mm. so I think you know we were thinking can you make the journey just more fast performance anyway yeah. But it's all quite expensive because you know, like, well, you need a fleet of segways, doesn't it? Yeah, which <laughs> would be amazing. Yeah, exactly. Or like, I, I mean, our sort well, of golf the, buggies. Yeah, yeah, I mean, golf the idea that would be amazing. I'm still going to do is like our Stana Stairlift ballet, which we have. Oh, that would know. be fabulous. But yeah, but no, it is a. It's. I mean, I think pace is a really tricky thing yes. in promenade theatre because yes. obviously when you're rehearsing it. I'm marching around. I'm like, yeah, yeah no, absolutely, of course, beautiful. because we're like, boom, 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 yeah. straight through it. And, and then, you know, <laughs> any audience will add 20 minutes on at least. Um, <laughs> yes. And it's, yeah, it's, it can be really painful, but you, you know, you, it's stupid not to accept that. And so I think with Macbeth, probably, we did end up building quite a lot of extra bits in, especially yes. you know, the outside section. Yes, because like, it's actually quite, uh, it's not a huge distance, but it's, it's it, no, far it, enough. It was far enough. And we had like 90 in those, which was yeah. too many, really. Trying but, to um, move them around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and because, you know, people really want to look at things. <laughs> 
Thank you. Um, I remember actually with we did a piece for Greenwich Inductions Festival, um, which was which was kind of interesting for us because I think it showed us we were like this is where whatever is the work that we do it's quite different from festival work because it's like I think the stuff that really works at festivals is kind of quite often um, amplified yes. and is static. Yes. Yes. And, and we were doing this kind of very esoteric, sort of like leading around, like yeah. non-mic, sort of intricate storytelling narrative piece. Um, and we'd been rehearsing it for weeks in this park with no one else there. And then suddenly we were like, oh, oh, there's six other performers happening at the same time and they've all got speakers. <laughs> hundreds and hundreds <laughs> yeah. of people, yeah. Um, and then we were, that was a kind of, oh, I remember one performance day where we were gonna, we sort of used the whole park and we were leading people down. And then I realized that some woman was telling us we couldn't go there because the guy had collapsed like on the playground or we were gonna go. So we had to sort of, but they didn't tell our other actors. So one of our actors was stranded over the other side of the park. And it was all awful. And we had to do it sort of basically in one spot under a tree. Um, And then I saw the guy who had allegedly had a heart attack leaving the park with his wife. Like, oh no! But we had to you know, stop for an ambulance to like yeah. go down, yeah. and so that was that was like the when the promenade stopped promenading. Yeah, yeah. I and it was funny because I don't think the audience necessarily. Well, it's fragile, isn't it? it? This is the interesting thing about this mm. work, although it's it's very robust in certain ways. Actually, real world implications can dissolve it in a, in a second. Really, yeah. As well, yes. Which I think is so interesting, and yeah. you, you can you know that fragility because you know you're in the real. Yeah. You're not in a set. You're not. No. In that kind of environment that's pulled mm. apart from the everyday, and so it has to be fragile. Yeah. For you to want to play and to feel safe playing in that environment. Yeah. To know that if anything, you know, if real world consequences yeah. start to become a possibility, then it can be broken yeah. in a second. And yeah, and you can't. I don't think you can. Um, you can do anything to kind of protect against that. Actually. No, no, of course not. And I think with, I mean, with that, I, f- I remember crying behind a tree. Yeah, <laughs> it was a, yeah. But I think with, with Macbeth, it was slightly more. I, mean, I think, you know, like some people are like, oh, it's always Chatham Common, you know, you've got everyone, like all the cars and the traffic and people going out. But I sort of liked that. Yeah, yeah, I liked that there was this do. sort of liminality of, you know, that. You were treading your path, and and yeah. there was there was a lot of you know kind of rowdy nightlife, but yeah, it sort of it kind of you, played in with that. Yeah, as well, I think I you thought. could still believe you know I'm I'm in this yeah. world, and that's and I think with the witches, I sort of felt quite pleased about that because the I you know we wanted people who were outsiders. I that think. was my favourite. Yeah, I loved that. oh good, because I think you you really you didn't. They did become invisible because they we wanted them to look like the kind of people who you your eyes slide over. Yeah, um, yeah. And I've got a picture actually of I think it was a Saturday matinee of our three witches sort of pre pre show sat on like a log, and there were just another four guys dressed exactly the same as them who you were just standing near them so they looked and they so were it looked like they're all of them yeah and and you like mutually had sort of gone this is where people like us are sitting at the moment yeah so, um, and it was like yeah that. 
actually, yeah, that's sort of <laughs> that invisibility really yeah. works. And it's that yeah. kind of liminality spilling, isn't it, over? Mm. And, and that, that's exciting, I think, as well. Yeah. Yeah. So what are you up to at the moment? Obviously, you're uh, being a mum right now as well. So <laughs> <laughs> that is probably uh, takes up a lot of your time and energy. But are you working on anything at the yeah. moment? Yeah, well, we've got a sort of ongoing project with High Hearted that started as a work in progress in 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, and has, because of funding, is sort of being delayed. But we're hoping will happen in the summer. Um, and Great. that... Interestingly, actually, what we were talking about before, this is taking place... Well, the work in progress took place in St Giles in the Fields Church, which is in central London at the end of yes. Denmark Street. Yes, yes. And there's this really kind of interesting area of, of regeneration and, and redevelopment, and the old meets the new, because Denmark Street is being redeveloped. There's Centre Point, there's Crossrail, yeah. Google built... Like, everything is happening there. Um, and... Um, and then there's this beautiful, beautiful church that's been there since like the 11th century. Um, so we we started it because we were sort of interested in in looking at that issue, which seems so present in London, and yes, I think most yes, of us, but particularly yes. in London, for everyone, yes. this kind of like everything's being redeveloped out of all our price ranges. Yeah. Yes. Um, yes. So we're all being You're watching all like, this amazing stuff go around you. Yeah. Like, this is probably means I'm gonna have to move. Mm, exactly. And and like <laughs> particularly an area like that, which. I think historically has been really neglected and where all the down and outs were. Um, And, but has like quite a, there's a lot of residential places, yeah, there's there's a lot of social housing there. Um, And it, but it sort of has this reputation, you know, it's very commercial and corporate. Um, And we, (laughs) so we were sort of interested in something political to say about that. And also that idea of, I suppose, can people, who are on really opposite sides of a social political spectrum? Can can you find a common ground? Yeah. Because of this whole social media, and the, you know, we were really affected, I think, by the, the second election, yeah. fifteen, was it? Where you know, it's like, oh no, there wasn't a revolution. It's, it's here yeah. to stay. Um, <laughs> it's going ahead. And this like thing of everyone kind of really like nailing their colours. You know, Facebook has sort of stopped being about you know, cats and stuff, and it's sort of now like, this is my political point of view. Yes. Yeah. This is my. Well, it's really about establishing. Kind of an identity in relation to national yes, identity yeah, yeah, yeah. and kind of locating yourself definitely within yes, a, a and kind of like, in that. These, this is what I agree with. This. Um, and so we were like, you know, is there a sort of what's you know, and I completely understand that, and I'm probably the same, but I suppose like what's what's the humanity, what's the kind of yeah the inconsistencies within that. Um, so it's um we wanted to look at the form as well. We wanted we wanted to work with a composer as well. So this is a play with song. Um, oh wow! Um, with two actors, two characters who who are from these different you know, different sort of sides, who have an encounter in the church, and and they're both in a sort of moment of crisis. Well, churches are such liminal sites in themselves, anyway, aren't they? So Within amazing. those communities that do bring, yeah, historically have always brought yes. people from very different social yes. spheres. To yeah. I wouldn't say be equal in that space historically, but I think no, but to sort of com- commune or communicate. Yes, exactly. And I think we were interested. You know, where are the public and private spaces in mm-hmm. London now? What do we, what do we think of as, you know, what is a church space? Because I'm not at all religious. I'm like, no, me really neither. Eye-opening rehearsing in that church because they're so well. They would just like, come in, do some art, create it, and being in that space was like this is a really friendly space. Yeah, if you come yeah. in, no one bothers you. It, no. There were lots of you know guys. Just keeping warm, sleeping on the pews. It's free. 
it's got Wi-Fi. There's a loo. Yeah. No one's trying to recruit you or anything. Yeah. And it was like, you know, and then you kind of step out and you're like, ah, oh, there's like a million London. coffee shops. And <laughs> um, so we were kind of really interested in like, what spaces have become. Because where are they in central London now? You know, where, where can you go to be warm and not pay money, you know? Very, very, very few places. And, and also, you know, feel connected to people, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, so that's and so we also thought there's something maybe kind of mischievous about doing a really small political musical in the heart of the West mm. End as well. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we in the yeah. place with such huge, uh, you know, box office yeah. sales and yeah. huge bums on seats to see those yeah. kind of big polished kind of West End, yeah, definitely shows. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, so that was a work in progress, and we're hoping to sort of just write it a bit, write a bit more, put a few more songs in. Great. Um, I mean, that's that's interesting because that's raised all these other questions of like, well, this isn't promenade, is it? Because everyone's sitting down, and actually, this thing of you do a piece in a church, and I've always kind of really liked working with unconventional spaces. Yeah, like yeah, looking yeah, around no, and where so. am I going? And actually, in a church, there's really only like one good place to look, <laughs> and the audience, yeah. like you know, you can mess around with it and try, but actually it's very clearly telling you where to sit and where to look. Yeah. Um, so what I really want to do before we, we go into like a rehearsal period is, is try and do some work on ca- how can the performers be promenade because yeah. it seems yeah. difficult for the to audience get them. to be promenade. But also I think actually what you're doing is because the, the site is used for something very different in mm. kind of the everyday. Yeah. It's a liminal site within itself, but then reframing it again as a liminal site potentially of performance. Yes, yeah. That is still in some ways dealing with those same kind of fundamental yeah. aspects that you deal with yeah. in promenade and in site responsive work. I think so. As well, because it still has, it's using that site, which is not a theatrical mm. kind of yeah. site. And people have really strong feelings about walking into churches. Yeah. I mean, our, yeah. I was just overwhelmed by how you know, non, non-religious. It yes, was. But yes. the guy um, who was doing, you know, our stage manager, he was like, I can't, I can't walk there because there's a grave there and I just, I don't know like what I'm doing and I don't know how to behave in this space. Yeah, and, yeah. and I'm really freaked out <laughs> because you're like, yeah. um, but, and I found it really, really welcoming. Yes, um, yes. But, um, and, but, you know, that was kind of part of the consideration of how, how do you bring the audience in actually became a massive yeah. thing and what do you, what do you give them as soon as they sit down? It's making that invitation, isn't it, to that yeah. that site and that space. Yeah. It, it is refunctioning rather than yeah. its kind of original yeah. functioning. Yeah. So yeah, that is challenging. Yeah. So if people would like to um, keep an eye on what you're up to and hopefully come and support your work, where's where's the best way for them to, to keep hold of that information Ooh, to access it? Good question. We're very bad at all our um, We do have a website. Yeah. And um, I think... Probably, which is highhearted.com. Which is highhearted.com. Yeah. And, and I think like my Twitter is more active than the highhearted. <laughs> our, our idea is to put um, to do a special a mini site for um, ah brilliant okay for, for the project for the project yeah. okay um, and and I'm even doing my own website at the moment but great but we are yeah we are so if they find Gemma Kerr on Twitter they're probably more they're likely probably, to be able yeah, to access they'll get kind of information <laughs> yeah brilliant yeah. that's the that is wonderful well uh, 
thank you so much for coming thank all you. the way down to Portsmouth oh, no, like uh, to talk to me on this very chilly day. It's been lovely having you both here. So yeah. thank you for talking to me. And I'm thank sure you. this won't be the last time either. So oh. I wish you um, a very Merry Christmas as we thank head into so December now. So it's exciting <laughs> and um, excellent. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. I hope that you enjoyed this month's episode. As ever, I would love to hear from you, your thoughts, comments, feedback, questions, uh, anything really, even where you're listening from would be fabulous. I love hearing from everybody who's listening. Um, you can find us in various places on social media and online. Our Twitter handle is at Tate Podcast, um, T-A-I-T Podcast. Uh, we have a Facebook page, which you can find by searching Tate. We're on YouTube and on Google+. You can also find us through my website, which is www.joannabucknell.co.uk. That's Joanna with an A and Bucknell with an A. If you use an E, you probably won't find us. Or you can contact me directly on email using Talking About Immersive Theatre, I know it's long, at gmail.com. So that's Talking About Immersive Theatre at gmail.com. Please do share with anyone you think might be interested, the more the merrier. Uh, you can subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud and on YouTube. And lastly, it would be really fabulous if you could leave us a review on iTunes. That would be brilliant and I would be super happy. So uh, we have lots of exciting things coming up. They're a little bit hush-hush right now, so I can't share too many details. But the only way you're going to find out about them is if you stay tuned in or follow me on Twitter. So until next month, bye.